Welcome to Mojo Moments or Montreal. Mojo Montreal, Mojo Moments. We're in this transition period. Life's all about transition periods, Dane. And we are in one for this podcast. So it's just Mojo. We'll just call it Mojo for now. It's the Mojo Podcast. I know how your Mojo is. I'm going to jump right in on what your Mojo is. You're waiting for a baby. So what is the Mojo of waiting for a baby like? It's very stressful. It's been a very stressful nine months. We are nine months minus three days. Um, it's fitting for this podcast because our guest today is Alex Johnson, who's going to talk to us about her own book, Inconceivable, with lots of stories about fertility-related complications. Um, and so for us, we, we've had our own ups and downs in this sort of roller coaster of life. And we are at the end of this current nine-month roller coaster. And uh, we're, we're waiting for the show to kick off. It's like, it's like that moment... Of, of being on a roller coaster where you know it's about to start and there's that anticipation. But this anticipation is like she could give birth at any point for the past two weeks. So we're kind of just like all hands on deck all the time. The mother-in-law is here. There's a curtain in my room because on the other side is a bed. And so like we tried to cut off the office and like guest space in our apartment. Oh, I thought you were about to say my mother-in-law in our bedroom. She's no, she's, she's in my bedroom just behind she's the curtain. currently hiding behind the curtain. <laughs> you don't know she's there, but she's there. So we're a very close family. <laughs> very close. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. So it's been like, it's just like waiting for the show to start and like the bags are packed. Like there's gas in the car grandmother's here it's like we're ready to go but now we just wait we wait for the show to kick off and it's it's what i love is that you're already tired i'm exhausted you're already tired this (laughs) happened after my first i was fucking exhausted going into it and then it was like (sighs) it was it was like once it came out and and we're all happy and together and like the the hospital it was great but like that lead up for me last time was stressful and it's the same again this time. Like I'm burnt out and we haven't even done it yet. So that's me. That's my energy. Anyway, so I, I'm with you, man. I'm like, I, I feel what you're feeling without feeling it. So today we have Alex Johnson with us. Alex is an old friend I went to high school with. She's one of those friends in high school. You know, there's always a couple that just take off and become superstars. Alex is one of those. She's like executive CEO of everything. Do you got a few little bio things I just throw out there? To- yeah, CEO of 360 Concussion Care, former vice president, strategy and public affairs at CBC Radio Canada, former executive director, Catalyst Canada. And she was also the executive director of policy in the Ontario government for a number of years uh, during the Dalton McGuinty administration, for those who like Ontario politics. So yeah, she's a heavy hitter. Great bio. We're not talking about None of any of that shit It's all today. very good, but we're not talking about that. We don't care about... Well, I mean, good for... Well done. Congrats. <laughs> today, we're talking about her book of her journey, incredible epic journey to parenthood called Inconceivable. And this was my gift to you, Mark, as you head off into the, you know, baby... <laughs> into the delivery land. room. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> So uh, let's hear it for Alex. So Alex, you're on the old Mojo cast here. Welcome. So happy to be here. Thank you. 
and <laughs> Mark's doing the high five. Yeah, pumping, doing or the pumps. Or no, what was that? The, yes. It's exciting. I'm excited to have you on. Your book was awesome and like made me feel better about myself and my own struggles. So, But we'll get into that later. Then do your thing. Be professional. Oh, yeah, I'll be a pro. So this is <laughs> Alex. We did this little preamble thing before you show up. And we usually talk about our mojo and... And then Mark's like, hey, do you know Alex? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Alex and I go way back. We're like old friends. And it's like, you're not allowed to say that. We're not old friends. That's inappropriate. We're friends. And you were one of those friends in high school, went off to do all these great things. And then he went through your bio. And then he said, we're not talking about that. That's not what we're interested in. We're going to talk about your book today. Are you good with that? Yes, I'm great with that, uh, but I do feel like we're old friends and both old and friends, but I've said to all of our old friends from that um, world, we're having a renaissance. We're all falling back in love with each other. It's really quite lovely. And Mark's like, where does this go? But we're not going into that podcast. <laughs> like, that sounds interesting. Let's dive into that. <laughs> That's a separate podcast. So the other day we were having catch up. You told me about your book, got the book, and I know... You shouldn't judge a book by the cover, but the cover is so, so awesome. It's a great cover. I know. Inconceivable, uh, which is a great title, by the way. Uh, I know we're not here about marketing, but there's my marketing hat coming on and going very impressed that you, first of all, had the guts to get the story down and saw it all the way through, and then you packaged it so nicely, so... Thank you. The packaging was all um, my wonderful publisher, Ken White. He's just really, um, he's just great. And he read, when he read the manuscript, he said, you know, I see the audiences for this. Uh, there's a little bit of work we need to do together to get it um, into final book form. But he really felt like this issue would resonate with different groups of people, which it uh, seems to be doing, which is great. So our whole podcast, it was born through COVID trying to, you know, speak with and tap into people's realms of inspiration and how they get their inspiration. And we're discovering over the past years, a lot of people have gone through different challenges or hurdles, and it's almost like part of the whole journey. But your journey, and I knew what you'd gone through at some level uh, to your path to parenthood, but never never in deep detail. And maybe when we would, you know, every five years bump into each other, it wasn't like we'd go into deep, like family talk. Uh, we'd go to the, the shallow stuff of reminiscing of high school. But when I read the story, it's, it's like you went through Homer's odyssey for parenthood. Like it is like you get around that Island. That's very dangerous. And then boom, there's another, some God coming down and throwing you a, some sort of more challenge. And I can't think of a harder journey, but you, you, you the way you wrote the story just gave so much, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say hope, but just gave a good energy. Like it was just so human. Um, and I love just for the, our listeners, just the top line of, you know, cause you say, and there's a line in there. It says infertility rob you of your thirties. Like, just walk us into that world for a moment. Oh, so I love that you picked up on that because I remember writing that thinking, oh, my God, it robbed me of my 30s. And your 30s are great or they can be really great. And I felt like that whole experience of building 
my family, with my friends and my oldest friends and going through this together. And then you're starting to build your career, uh, was, you know, not where my head was at. Um, you know, for me and my husband, David, our head was working and then a part-time job trying to build our family through fertility treatments. But it really felt like it captured that experience, which was, um, once you move on to a path that is not, um, you know, a natural path, it's, uh, it's really, um, it's really hard. And, uh, it did feel like, you know, it, it was something that robbed me of my thirties, a wonderful friend, uh, just disclosed, she read the book and she disclosed a very different experience, uh, but pretty intense in her twenties. And she said that resonated with me. Uh, that experience robbed me in my twenties. And she said it was pretty all consuming and fertility treatments for us felt pretty all consuming in our thirties. I jumped in at 32 and I felt pretty young. Um, I didn't feel ready to necessarily become a mom, but Dave and I said, you know, there's a window and let's not miss that window. Um, healthy. My mom had five kids in seven years. So we always joked about, you know, making sure we didn't have too many children. Um, and then we ended up not being able to, you know, I was not able to get pregnant. So we ended up seeking help and seeing a fertility specialist. And it really just from there, um, didn't stop. And, uh, I knew so little about my fertility. I knew so little about fertility treatments that I assumed it would be, you know, a couple jabs of a needle and they kickstart whatever needed to be kickstarted. And, we'd be off to the races and it was a five year, um, journey. Um, and in that journey, we tried me caring. We tried, you know, my, um, youngest sister and my middle sister, um, offered to act as egg donors. If that was the problem, uh, we moved to surrogacy, um, and were successful, uh, um, working with surrogates. And then our first child died in labor and delivery. Uh, which really set us on a very, very painful path. Um, and we both had to grieve the loss of our daughter, Sam, uh, very profoundly and also recognize that if we wanted to continue to try to become parents again, uh, now was the time. So we worked with uh, two more surrogates um, simultaneously and ended up having our daughters, Georgia and Sadie. Um, Georgia was three months premature, which was a challenging experience in and of itself, but She's doing well, which is great. And then I very, very unexpectedly, when the girls were three and six months, respectively, got pregnant with our son, Lucas, um, which was the shock of my life. And then he was a perfectly normal 10-pound healthy baby. Um, and we ended up with three kids in 15 months. So that's kind of the coolest note. <laughs> that is, and that's why inconceivable is such an incredible title. It's like... It's inconceivable. It really was See, inconceivable. it's interesting because... You know, um, look, Mark, I don't know how, how comfortable you are opening up, but Mark and I have, you know, talked about, you know, parenthood. I, I went down the, the path earlier than he did, despite my youthful <laughs> looks. And uh, it's sort of one of these things, like you were saying, you know, oh, you know, my mom had five kids. Uh, we're worried about having too many kids. And they just, you know, it's sort of like this thing. It just happens. Of course, you, you decide to have babies, they have babies. And doesn't always work out that way. And Mark, I don't know, do you, Mark's, Mark's going on to number two and this is his gift. We're talking about <laughs> babies today when he's due yeah. and, or his wife's due in a couple of no, days. No, like reading so. your book, it was, it was fascinating because like completely different set of circumstances. But for us, 
that that line of ha- being robbed of your 30s like my wife it's the same thing because for the past 6 years we've we seems like we've just spent like every other week in a hospital for one reason or another when we were trying to conceive our first one um it worked but then when we went to the 12 week ultrasound it was revealed that the baby's heart had stopped beating at 7 weeks so it was an arrested pregnancy so we're like oh well that's terrible that doesn't usually happen usually it's just a miscarriage and you kind of move on so we found out at the 12 week ultrasound that it didn't work she was given pills to like expulse it and then that didn't work so then a couple months later we went back to the hospital to have a dnc to fix that and then we tried again we we got our first child which was amazing and then we're like okay cool great like we had the bad luck then we tried again um after the first child then we had two miscarriages at seven weeks sort of back to back then we conceived again and then it got weird when we started going into all the different uh treatments and doing the ultrasound they thought we had um a vanishing twin which then meant that all the different tests that they were running were were kind of like approximate because they weren't quite sure how much had been absorbed back into the body or not and then we found it at 19 weeks it had tracemia 13 and that all of the deformities um in the body meant that the the fetus probably wouldn't even survive childbirth so then we had to abort and then we we did that and then after that we we tried again and now we're at like five years long we started and then we couldn't conceive at that point for for 12 months so after 12 months the doctor was like well you know usually you were able to conceive it didn't finish in a child but that's like so then we went to the fertility treatments then we started doing that at the start of the pandemic so now you know we're going into the clinic and like she goes for this and i go for that and then you go for the insemination then you're doing this and we're injecting hormones and like all of this stuff and then we just like gave up last september and we're just like look we're not even going to try that anymore and then she got pregnant and now we're at the end, but it's been like, like when you said like it robbed you of your thirties, like she feels the same way. Like we've been on this quest for so long. And, and one of the things that I feel is so shocking about all of this is there's one thing I thought maybe we could discuss as a group even is that like, if I just feel like women in particular suffer so much in silence in this, like this notion of miscarriages was almost like taboo when, when, when it happened to us and like, what can we even do like to, to make that an easier subject? Cause like when you start scratching and you start asking people, you're like, Oh, well, yeah, I, I also had that. Like, then there's this almost camaraderie that exists, but it, it really takes some digging at. Yeah. Listening to you, Mark, I thought I'm so grateful that you're sharing the details of your story because there are other people who will hear that and feel empowered to, um, to share, to share. And, and I think that matters. I actually feel like even before the uh, difficult experience, my obsession and the reason I wrote the book is because we're not talking about fertility itself. And so there's conversation out there about, you know, oh my God, you know, a celebrity at 44 had twins. And, uh, but the real conversation about, you know, what happens in our bodies, what your biological clock is, um, real information that women and men need uh, early on isn't happening. And that is changeable. Um, I do feel like every time someone shares their experience, it's, it's value add, but we got to normalize it in the workplace. We've got to normalize it among our peer group. We've got to share information. Um, I think that's happening informally, but my hope is that doctors start putting this issue on the table much earlier and more readily with women to allow them to ask questions, help them understand the questions they might want to ask, 
get their fertility workup done. Um, so they're actually getting information that's relevant to them. And that to me would save a lot of heartache. Uh, cause I walked into this knowing nothing about my body. The first conversation I had by, about my fertility was two years in seeing a specialist at 34 by then. Uh, that doesn't feel like, um, the path I would want most women to be on. No. And learning about that, it's going to, it would help so much knowing all that stuff earlier on for, for us too. It's like her mother had four kids. Like my parents both had two kids. Like it was like, Oh, it's going to be, you know, you're just going to try it and it's going to work. Right. And then you start getting into it and you're like, holy shit, it's actually really yeah. difficult. Like the anti-pregnancy stuff, I think worked too well. All that marketing of like, you know, be safe and whatever. Like it's, you just think it's going to work immediately. And it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. And we spend our twenties as women often trying to make sure we don't get pregnant. And then you switch yeah. to a different headspace and you think, okay, well now I'm ready. Um, but you need to understand, um, your body. And, uh, I say in the book, I love you talking about your experience. Cause I say in the book, you know, other than the Canada revenue agency and the FBI, if there's one place you don't want to be a celebrity, it's your fertility clinic. And I was the celebrity. I was like, hey, AJ, Back how again. are you? I'm like, oh, I don't want to be so well yeah. known here. It's yeah, like you going again. in, going into the local cafe, yeah, high-fiving. Hey, totally. good to see yeah. you guys. That's brutal. Yeah. yeah. I was Norman Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Is it taboo or just like why is this so ill-informed or or our heads are somewhere else and careers or why why is it such a secret at some level? Uh, I don't think it's a secret. I think that um, it comes as a, as a surprise to people because I love doctors. I love family doctors. My sister, Sharon, is a family doctor. They have a very privileged, precious place in our life, and they disclose lots of information to us about different health issues that we need to be thinking about and we need to be proactive about monitoring or, or preventing uh, fertility and infertility has to become one of those. And so they have to start thinking a bit, not as pressuring women to have families before they're ready, but putting relevant information on the table for them to be informed, become informed and have knowledge, which for me, knowledge is power. Um, I don't think we treat it that way. I think we treat it as a private uh, issue and experience. Once you have trouble, it can become a very difficult uh, not private issue because you're involving lots of different people in potentially helping you or, um, you know, needing support. Uh, so I do think that conversation has to happen earlier. I don't think it's that taboo. I just don't think we're having the right kind of conversation. And I don't think it's getting it on sitcoms and movies and, you know, more storylines about, you know, people, um, needing help. I think it's getting real information about, your body, your fertility, uh, you know, real stats. When I realized that at 32, one in six women were going to face infertility like me, I couldn't believe the first time I learned that. I was 34 years old in my specialist office, and I thought, that's a statistic every woman should know. Say that again, that stat. By, by 32, 15%, one in six women will struggle with infertility. So they will either have difficulty becoming pregnant um, or be un unable to, but that's a significant stat. And by, you know, the average age of pregnancy now in Canada is 31. So to me, it feels almost a bit like the efforts have been made in recent years around mental health, it's sort of mental health is this sort of thing that no one ever talked about, but the data all shows that the prevalence and the, 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 the number of cases of varying degrees of mental health, there's, it's everywhere, but it was never talked about. And it was like finding the language, even in the the vocabulary, the, the, the comfort, uh, demystifying it and having a bit of the comfort to talk about it changes a lot. Like it depressurizes everything. 
And in your story, even when you were dealing with, um, I think it was, I don't know who it was, your fertility doctor, and when you decide to move to surrogacy, and I think he or she was like, okay, and so is your husband David going to sleep with the surrogate? I think is. <laughs> I was like, wait, I may have missed something here. I was like, clearly, am I right? Like that moment must be like, what? You don't even know what's going on here? Like, I know, I know. That's exactly. She was such a good doctor. And I remember she said, now, does David need to have intercourse with the surrogate? I said, no, that will not be necessary. (laughs) Um, And then I thought surrogacy is unusual enough back then that I thought, I think I'm going to have to walk people through what this involves, which is a bit frightening. Um, but, but no, but you were dealing with, in my view, a pro. So, you know, back to the lack of information education, which I was like, you were dealing with someone who deals with infertility all the time. And they're asking you a question like that. And you're like, okay, so this is going to be a really tricky conversation with a lot of different people who know. But at the same time, I feel like having just gone through some of these things, like some of that stuff hasn't changed. Like at one point my wife was going in for a test and like, we're trying to figure out, okay, so like why, like before we were conceiving and now we're not like, has something changed since the abortion? Let's, let's, let's check some stuff. Like maybe something happened, we can look into it. And then the doctor who did the test, he's like, no, everything's fine. You'll fix it in the bedroom. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not what we're the type of tone that we're looking for. It's like, no, everything is fine. <laughs> like that type of, I don't know. Is it, is it just still a sort of like male arrogant framing of the situation? I don't know, but it was, it was incredibly frustrating for all of us. Like at each of these different steps to still feel that either we'd failed or it was just like all in our heads. And, and it was incredibly frustrating for us. Look, I wrote this book because I actually think there is a crisis. And I feel like when I listen to women who are now in their late 20s and early 30s thinking about this and getting the same information I did, which is if you're under 35, try for 12 months um, before seeking help. And I'm like, but if one in six of us at 32 will have infertility, why would I try for 12 months before getting information about my own fertility? That's terrible advice. And I do think there's a lack of the conversation hasn't evolved and, you know, women are older having babies, men and women are choosing to start their families later. I don't want them to feel pressured at all and starting before they're ready, but I do want them to feel like becoming empowered by getting relevant information and making informed choices is, is to your benefit and be your best advocate. Nobody cares about the outcome as much as you do Mark or I do or Thane. And so advocate for yourself and push to get information and don't um, we don't know the questions to ask, uh, but do as much as possible to uh, to know what you need to know uh, and get that information and push hard for it because nobody cares about the outcome as much as you do. But that's it. And you're going to have to push hard for it. Like for us, but like, no, something's still not right. Like we need to keep going and keep trying. And they're like, oh, no, but like all of, all of your stats are normal. It's like, well, no, clearly something's wrong. Let's keep looking. Let's keep pushing. And and back to the thing about losing your 30s, it's just like, that feels like we've just been on this roller coaster for so long and it's been so all-consuming. There's actually one thing in your book that actually made me feel a lot better. I don't want to make this seem light. Well, more, well, yeah, more one than one thing. thing, obviously, but one particular <laughs> thing. And I thought it was so key and I'm, I'm really, I'm not happy you went through it, but I'm happy you wrote about it, was this idea of resentment for people around you. Because because we had that we've we've had that on and off 
like you see people who have succeeded at something you have not and you have this sort of like feeling of failure and like every time we've gone through these things and they haven't worked and you see someone who has one kid if it's one kid or two kids if you're looking for two kids like at each of those stages you build up that kind of resentment and you're like i just want to and one of the best things that happened to us weird enough to say is the pandemic where we actually just got to like focus on our own family we got to be just with the people who love us the most and and sort of recenter all of our mojo in a way and it was great but like i was just so happy that you mentioned the resentment because we felt it so bad and we're like are we just terrible people like do we, like seeing all this going on so anyways i'm a big believer in this book i want everyone to read it so this is my own therapy session now we're just, we've just gone into that zone yeah yeah alex mojo our show is just for us the guests are there to help us out it's our it's our therapy <laughs> how we work through our issues yeah but Mark, it is a real feeling. And I, my sister, who I love so much, who's, you know, as dear to me as anyone, Sharon, um, you know, helped me through losing yeah. my daughter. And 10 months later, she had twins. I mean, I couldn't meet her twins for a year. And I, they're with me right now with my kids. I'm, you know, caring for them for the week. They're like my kids. Uh, but I couldn't be with someone else's baby. I didn't want to hold someone else's baby. I yeah. wanted my baby. And, um, having to navigate that with your friend group is really hard and people not understanding what your experience is like and thinking, how can you begrudge me having a family? Yeah. Um, and you don't want them to suffer. You just can't be around something that you so desperately want that it's just not. That's it. We're going through that now with our family as well. Cause like during the pandemic, we really retreated into our own little bubble. We're like, we don't want to interact with other people who are pregnant and having their fourth kid. Like we just, we're just going to focus on our own little bubble. And then when we can, we'll, we'll try and reach out. And then when we did, we had it held against us and we're just like, that's not the emotion we need at the moment. Thank you. <laughs> Could we not? Thanks people. <laughs> so, yeah. It's so all of these relationships, it's so hard emotionally to navigate, but like it's important to talk about. And I'll, I'm just going to say this because you raised it, but I was a maid of honor for one of my closest friends early August. Um, we lost our daughter late August uh, we became, I became estranged from her almost immediately. She, like, she was clearly pregnant by October and I sort of saw the signs. Um, I showed up at her house two years later and on her doorstep, I started to apologize and she said, stop, you don't need to apologize. I'm just so glad you're here. And I thought that was the most loving response. It's the response mm -hmm. I needed from everyone. She didn't know what my experience had been like, but she surmised it was probably pretty terrible. And she was just so glad I was back. I do that with everyone now. You know, if someone drops out of my life for a period of time and they're suffering and they come back, it's not about me, it's about them. Um, and they just need me to say, I'm so glad you're here. Aww. I feel better now. <laughs> I mean, I think it goes to show like, we don't know what's going on in people's lives, really. We have no idea. And uh, I think what your friend did was was it was awesome. It was just sometimes just, 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 don't judge. Just, yeah, it's acceptance. Just be there. After losing your your daughter, Sam, I I, I understand it was a tough period. But I, I I remember reading this moment when you came home, hearing David, uh, I think laughing for the first time, uh, or the first time you'd heard laughter at home in a long time, and uh, and you came in and he was watching Arrested Development with uh, Jason Bateman. <laughs> or something and it's ironic because mark and i always refer to there's a 
great podcast out there called Smartless, which is Jason yeah, Bateman's yeah. thing. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I could see how he's such a funny guy. He's such, such dry humor. <laughs> and, um, but did you feel that was a turning point of getting your, in a way, your mojo back and go, okay, we're, we can get going on a, like reconsider what can we do or, or did it take longer than that even? Or was that the moment kind of? Laughter was survival. And I remember thinking that feeling of laughing, we could only really laugh with each other. Um, but that felt like survival. I did navigate this with a group of friends at work who were about five or six years younger, started to have babies and we're still the greatest of friends today. Um, and they would come into my office and say, I have terrible news. And I would say, Oh my God, you're pregnant. And then they'd say, yes. And I'm like, you are the most selfish person I know. And we would go down this road and we would laugh. And like, they knew I was just in a terrible place and they knew this still wasn't happening for me. And I knew they were, and somehow we would laugh through it. And, you know, they'd say, I'd say I reserve the right to break up with you if, and when I want at any point they say, totally fine. I understand. Um, and somehow that was survival we did not really come out of it until we had um, our kids. Uh, the lifting moment for me when we were in a very, very dark place for a very long time, you know, going into our second year was my very dear friend, Chella, offering to carry for us and just watching us. We tried with another surrogate unsuccessfully. And my sister, Sharon, saying, you tell me what you need. You need my eggs. I'm there. Like, I'm your backup. Um, and I got you. And I remember with both of them just coincidentally at the same time reaching out to me and saying what do you need for me to make this happen um I said we're no further ahead but I felt unbelievable love and I remember thinking you got to put all the pieces together and land this plane because you've been in this terrible place for too long uh but those acts of kindness felt so deep then and they do now and in writing the book what really surprised me when I finished the final, you know, dotting the I and crossing the T's was really what I took away, even though the experience itself was so difficult, was so much kindness and so many different people, strangers, friends, family members, doing what they could to try to add value to our life in small ways and big ways. And that's a very humbling experience. And I couldn't feel it when I was in it. But on the other side, writing about it, I was like, oh, that was really the main thing that stuck with you was that those acts of love and those acts of kindness that really, really mattered. And I'd advise anyone to just try if you see someone struggling to do whatever you can to be helpful to them because they will, they will not forget it. And like you said, maybe in the moment they're, you know, incapable of expressing that because they're in a very tough moment, but it matters still, even if you don't get the, the positive feedback loop from that. Yes, you will not get a thank you note, but it still matters. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And a lot of people don't know what they need as well, right? Like the hardest times for us, like if we wouldn't have known what to ask for help for, right? Like you just you're just in it, and you're you're just like clawing and scratching. So it's uh, it's tough, man. It's a real tough. I'm in therapy right now. This is this is great. This is free <laughs> therapy. Mark and I are looking at each other like I just want to hug. Yeah, yeah. Just like I get it. I get it. I just have a moment. I was reading your book and I was like tearing up and I'm like, oh man, no, it's, it's, everyone needs to read this. When Mark's opened up a bit with me, I'm just so useless at knowing what to say and give advice. I'm like, Hey, do you want to watch YouTube videos? 
<laughs> but the first time we talked about the story with Thayne, it's like it was like my first year being at the company, and we he was doing these things where he would take people out for lunch and like get to know the staff, hang out with Thane and whatever. So we go to this rooftop patio. It's the day of our summer party. And Thane's like, Yeah, you know, you're here. Uh, you know, what are you into? Uh, yeah, tell me about yourself and doing his little thing. Wait, you're making me have weird you voice. You do that voice though. Why do I have to have so we get voice? into it. And then we both okay. start talking about how like it's it wasn't easy at that point. We'd had the arrested uh, pregnancy. So we were talking about that and how it was hard. And Thane got into his stories about his own sort of, you know, fertility issues. And we just, we kind of started drinking, but then it was the summer party. And, and like, we never closed the loop emotionally on it. And so I went to the summer party and I ended up getting incredibly wasted. And, and I ended up coming home at like seven o'clock, just absolutely beside myself. And my wife was just like, I was, I couldn't believe it was you. You were staggering down the street, but it's, it's dangerous emotionally, all of this stuff. But yeah, Thane doesn't know how to deal with emotional stuff. But we never close that loop. That's why we have you on we the never close it. This <laughs> is the close. I know. I feel like we're closing it now. Exactly. But Mark, I was at a dinner once and the, do you have kids question when you are struggling? Hard. It's very loaded and obviously people don't know. But if I would say no, then they would go into a long explanation, assuming I didn't want them, which for them would feel weird about like what a pain kids are and like you'll get more sleep and lucky you, which you, you knew they didn't mean. And if you would disclose what you were going through, it was way exactly. too much information for you know a stranger. But there was no happy no. medium. So I remember disclosing once to someone that we just lost our daughter and I thought he was going to fall off his chair. We were at a business dinner and I'm like, I, I, it was a conversation stopper. We could not recover. It was way too much information for this poor man. But I thought I knew if I said, I don't have kids and you have two, then you'd explain what a pain kids are. And we go through the whole dance and I'm just, you know, there's like a dagger in my heart. So Ultimately, we just avoided most social interactions because it was just too fraught. Well, that's for a long it. Time. I, like for us, I feel like it's it's so it's so painful that like the only power you can have over it sometimes is that privacy. So just like not letting people know is like the one thing that you could hold on to and like put on a face. And like one of the things for me was just like going to work and having people not know about it was great because like at home. That's all we think about. That's all we talk about. But at work, you can be like, yeah, let's talk about this new advertising campaign. Let's come up with ideas. This is great. Let's do it. And then at home, you're like, okay, did you call the doctor? Did you do this? Okay, we're going to go there on Friday. Like, okay, we got this over here. Okay, okay, what about this? Okay, this. And like, that's all you do at home. That Like having an escape is super useful. And for me, it was work. Me too. Well, I'm glad I could do that for you, Mark. Yeah, you thanks, a- buddy. <laughs> providing a place <laughs> so I can work through my this shit. This is the emotional closure he was looking for. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you, Thane. <laughs> this is really a session of getting thanks back to me. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah. these years You're later. Your thank you note now. Exactly. Do you have hope that things are changing right now in a more significant way? Not the gradual little improvement, but it, it are, is the dialogue around this topic improving significantly? I don't think it is, but the hopeful part of that message is it is very easy to do. So we could do two things as a no-brainer. One, you know, when I was working in the Ontario government um, as the Premier's Director of Policy, I think we spent $80 million a year on, I don't know if it was advertising, you know, certainly 40 or $50 million of that I think was health advertising. This should be a top issue. It really matters to younger people. It really matters to women. Do a health campaign campaign provide information, make this 
a normal conversation, normalize infertility like diabetes and mental health and things where you actually bring it out and you say, don't be nervous about talking about this. Like this is a really important part of your life. So let's get you the information you need. That's one. Two, doctors, you know, own this privileged role in our lives as women and get us information early and don't be nervous about raising it. The stakes of not raising it are just too high. Um, and then businesses, uh, fertility benefits really matter and making sure you're thinking about the needs of all your employees and taking that important role in, in changing people's lives by making some of the uh, treatments accessible. And then governments need to be updating their policies and making it possible for men and women, single people, same-sex couples, uh, couples struggling to have families if they want to have families is too big a part of our life to uh, simply let money be the dividing line between people um, successfully getting help and people not. Um, so I don't think these things are complicated. I think climate change is complicated. I think, you know, there are lots of complicated issues we face, but getting people help building their families should not be complicated. And there are simple things we can do to move to a much better place. Is there any jurisdiction that's ahead of the curve? Like I kind of recall Quebec was going to provide fertility clinic support or, and then I think they walked back on it. Yeah. Quebec had a very generous program, then walked it back and are now moving back into that uh, place. Um, I think a hundred percent, it's not a bottomless pit. Like there are very significant health needs. And so this is not one issue. It, it's in the context yeah. of people managing finite resources. And I take that seriously. There's a very real economic case to invest in the front end instead of cleaning up you know, twins and triplets and problems at the back end with a lack of access to help and people using really inexpensive options to try to get pregnant, which often lead to multiples and, and poor outcomes for mothers and babies. Um, I love Ontario's uh, model because they only fund one IVF treatment, but it's one of the m most, if not the most inclusive uh, fertility treatment models in the world. Uh, single women, uh, single men, uh, heterosexual couples, same-sex couples, uh, surrogacy is covered. Uh, so it's only one funded cycle, but it opens up doors for, you know, single people, gay men, you know, women like myself who just weren't able to get pregnant or who needed fertility treatments to get pregnant. Um, that's, it's fantastic. So I would like more uh, coverage, but the framework and the inclusiveness of that framework is a real wonderful uh, model for others. So but there is some hope there, but we're, we're, we're still in early days of, of all this. Yeah. And you need, you need effective advocacy and you need people really saying it's not just a moral issue. There's an economic imperative to have families, have kids, build families, pull people out of losing their thirties and struggling and, um, you know, really going through deeply painful experiences. Uh, you know, often the difference between someone having a child and accessing treatment and not is 10 or $15,000 once in their life. Um, for me, that's a pretty manageable investment for our healthcare system to make. If it means on the other side, someone doesn't spend four years suffering, but they become a parent. Um, and in the absence of that investment, they simply won't. Well, I remember you I, in, in one of your chapters saying that the, I think the, at the clinic, they're like, oh yes, we know a lot of people uh, of lawyers and doctor uh, accountants that are going through treatments. And you're like, yeah, because they have money to do it and and it's not accessible i mean it 10 15 000 for a lot of families is not an option not at all and it's not even families pooling resources it's just not an option it's also just the time commitment as well when you start getting into it and like you have to go all the all the different uh, doctor's appointments the tests the follow-ups the this the that 
it becomes a massive time commitment that then economically means they're not necessarily working in those places that they used to be. Like for, for my wife, it was the same thing. It's like she sort of dialed back because she wanted something a little less stressful just in case the stress was one of the things that was eating away at that. And then so it economically speaking, you know, I can attest as one person to that being a case where like for four years, it's not as economically viable for the province of Quebec for us to to be going through that instead of knowing more of those things ahead of time and prevention. What is it? One ounce of prevention beats a pound of cure. Isn't that one of those old yeah. phrases? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Often there's, the, you know, people say, oh, you got pregnant because you're no longer stressed. And I think that was told to you that after you had your your two children via surrogacy, you you became pregnant, and then oh, it's because you're no longer stressed. And I sensed, and it bothered you that people would say that. <laughs> Did you sense that? Because yes, that is an accurate sense. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The chapter is, I guess, you finally relaxed. Yeah. And yeah. you know, we went through the agony of the damned. Then you know, we end up with our two girls. Sadie was diagnosed as a miscarriage so she we think had a vanishing twin um and so you know at two months at, at, at eight weeks our surrogate um was told she had miscarried she kept going back to the hospital they kept saying it's a fantasy pregnancy you're not pregnant it's in your head and then finally at 18 weeks they did another ultrasound and said oops no there's a little baby in there you are in fact pregnant uh, right after that when we realized that she was still pregnant with our daughter sadie georgia was born three months early and in the hospital for those three months until she came home um and then I very unexpectedly with these two little girls got pregnant with Lucas. And as soon as it happened, everyone said, I guess you finally relaxed. And I thought, I just don't understand how that's where we go with this. I'm an uptight person. <laughs> the fact that I'm uptight was not why I couldn't get pregnant. There were other things going on. This is not a relaxing period of my life right now. Yeah. Um, and yet it happened. So I say my theory is that I brought two little girls home and my body had a very hormonal reaction to having my babies in the house even though I didn't carry them and it created the conditions once in the 20 years that David and I had been together to make a baby. Um, David still feels like he wants to take a paternity test because he's not entirely certain what happened, what <laughs> it happened, who it happened with, why it happened. Um, but it did. And uh, it was not in my mind that I was relaxed. It was that something physiological happened when we brought the girls home. And, you know, I say to Lucas, my, uterus was like a wasteland there was like nothing going on in there and you're like well i'm gonna stick around we'll see what happens it's incredible <laughs> so it wasn't because you finally relaxed it was not because i've never been relaxed <laughs> there will be no relaxing no time for relaxing no time for relaxing Screw that. I told you, Mark, it's not about relaxing. It's about Yeah, yeah. Faster, <laughs> faster. It's your constant <laughs> refrain. Yes, that's my that's my pep talk. Faster. <laughs> yeah. He just walks around the yeah. office back when we used to do that going, faster, faster. <laughs> and they're like, but we're eating lunch. We're eating yeah, lunch. My favorite word is hustle, 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 hustle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a great therapy session for Mark as he heads out on the yeah. fog of a newborn. So exciting. Oh, Mark, I'm so happy for you. But no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was like, again, like we, we got the whole like, just go on vacation. It's going to happen. Just go on vacation. Yeah, Fuck you. For sure. <laughs> that was our response every time. 
take the money for the vacation and then come back and be like, it still didn't work. Yeah, that's it. Did you just swear, Mark? So that means we got to put the little E. I did, right at like the end. now it's an explicit <laughs> podcast. That's right. But isn't it, maybe it's like in the movies, it's only R if you do it twice. What? If you swear twice, that's when you get the rating. But if you do it once, it's okay. That's PG-13. I don't know. We always have E's next to it. It's because you're a potty mouth. I'm not a potty mouth. So, Alex, I have one last very important question. Is as a mm-hmm. as and this is so off topic, <laughs> but as a born and bred Montrealer, but now living over there, that other place. Mm-hmm. Do, do you are you a Habs fan still, or or, or or were you ever Habs, or you don't care? Yeah, we we have been a Habs family always. For David, it's different. Like when I when we moved to Toronto, and we would get nice corporate tickets from my work as a lawyer and we'd be behind the bench and be, he'd be screaming at the Maple Leafs, hurling insults. I'm like, we are guests in someone's seats. They've kindly given us these tickets. We have chosen to live in Toronto. We are not hostages. You can't go after the home team that way. And I get your allegiance, but this is embarrassing and you need to stop. Like he would Um, really lose it? Oh, screaming at them and just like, the Leafs suck. I'm like, again, we can't do this. If we're going to be someone's guest in their nice tickets in the home seats. Um, I now am truly uh, conflicted. So I, on balance, would have preferred Toronto over Montreal. Montreal is now my team. Go Habs, go. Feel it in my bones. Uh, But the kids now are more like me. And two or three years ago, they were 100% Habs. So Toronto is going to get you eventually. (laughs) It's going to break your heart. Eventually, it's going to break your heart. Mark's born and bred. Trontonian, yeah, adopted Montreal's home city. How long has it been now? Ten years. Ten years. His wife's francophone. She she's a Habs fan, right? Yeah, whole and, family's Habs fan. And I've offered, you know, ever since we got rid of the Leafs there a few weeks ago, I've been offering to join the bus. He just won't get on. No. He won't get on. I can't. I can't give it up. I wish I could. I wish I could. And you know this, sincerely. I really wish I didn't have to go through the suffering every year that I have to go through. But I can't I can't just bail on my team. So do you have any therapy really advice hard. on that front for Mark? No. No, it's it's just Mark. I mean, I don't I don't get too excited because I don't I don't hold up hold out hope. Um but I, I kind of fell in love with the Leafs when I fell in love with the Raptors. So I like I like the teams in Toronto and that experience going through it with the Raptors was the best memorable being in, yeah. in the and crowd for, for that parade was one of the best Amazing. moments of my life. Amazing. <laughs> Wait, yeah. this podcast is now over. We're talking about the wrong <laughs> city. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> We're wrapping all joking aside. I'm so touched that you uh, took an interest in the book and this issue. You don't have to thank me. I'm, I thank you to to yeah. share your story, honestly. Um, and 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 it's not told enough. And you you wrote a. I know it's a real story, but it, it reads well too. It's not it's not too fat as a book, which is it's good for the little size. brains. <laughs> it's a good it's a good read. It it skips along nicely, though. My son kept saying it's like a. Sh- it's like a short story. It's not even a book. It's like a little short story. I read short stories longer than this. Who said this? My son. He keeps going, it's not really a book. It's a short story. <laughs> you're like, look, kid. Just uh, <laughs> Look, kid, mom. you do one. You do one. <laughs> yeah, you go yeah, write exactly. a book. Knock yourself out. Yeah. 
Yeah. And look at the cover I got on here. It's a nice cover. Yeah, exactly. Your yeah. stupid little essays are ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to go in a compendium. It's got to go How in a your collection. Son? How old's your son now? Lucas is 11 and the girls are 12. And he's judging your book length? I know. I know. What's I know. that all about? But he read it. But he read it. I went up a month ago and I heard little footsteps at midnight above us. And I went to check what was going on and his light is on and tears are streaming down his face. And I said, are you okay? And he pulled up the book and he said, I'm reading your book, mom, and I'm 20 pages in. And he said, it's really sad. I said, Lucas, it is, but it's also really happy and really beautiful. So I said, it's your story and I'm glad you're interested in your story. That's cool that he has a story wow. about him though. Like not many kids. 100%. Like yeah. Jesus. And he's ripping you about the length of it. My God. Yeah. I'm impressed that he's at midnight, midnight reading a book. Yeah, no, I agree. Especially a book about infertility. That's pretty cool. Do you have cases? Do you have cases of these as the author? Do you have like a case of these books in your house that like you give away? Because like, he's well, informed. I, I was part of a contributor to a, a book, and I had like I ordered a bunch to the house, and I was like, oh, I have like ten of these, like just giving them away at bus stops. I did. I got some author's copies, but I did order some because I'm I've been giving them to especially anyone who contributed to reviewing the manuscript or providing cover blurb I sent I sent a copy to and I was incredibly lucky that people were so generous with their time that way we uh the other week we had on a, a, a small microbrewery from Knowlton and then Mark and I are like so do you like when you go on podcast do you like give cases of beer to the people they didn't take kindly to that one <laughs> <laughs> no they didn't t they totally didn't bite they didn't even offer like come by for one free beer. No, no, no I was curious anyway that's fine. And I don't think Mark was asking for a free book. He was just literally, I, he has the book. We bought it. So thank you, Alex. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you both. And now we offer you free time. There you thank go. Thank you both. Big kiss to you both. Bye. Thank you. Big thank hugs. You. Awesome. Bye. Bye. That was uh, our chat with Alex Johnson and Mark. I knew you and Marie had um, your challenges, but when I hear the journey you went through, I mean, Alex's journey is incredible, your journey, and it just, it's, it's impressive how you held it together <laughs> to, on, top yeah, of, man. Uh, on top of everything else, you know? Yeah, I mean... For me, it was, I mean, it's different when you're the one trying to bear the child than the one who's helping the person who's trying to bear the child. Because, like, I could just go to work and pretend like it didn't exist, mm -hmm. right? Like, for me, that was always the escape. Like, I can go to work. Like, a couple of people know, but they don't talk about it. I don't bring it up. And, and you can just go on talking about whatever it is you're supposed to be working on. And that, and, like, I could just, like, be anonymous from for that whereas for mary it was like it was always all consuming right and like it's there was there was less of an escape for her because like i can go to work we're hanging out and having coffee and like no one knows we're talking about stupid shit or you know we're working on a campaign and you know oh we got to go into production like there's always there's always something you can focus on to distract your mind from it but if if you're always like, well, you know, I got to go in a week, I got to go to this appointment, they're going to run this test and this, that and the other. It's like you're always in it. Whereas for me, I mean, luckily, you can kind of detach from it a little bit. You know, 
when you're surrounded by people who don't necessarily know or just see you as like, hey, you're the copywriter. And you're like, yep. <laughs> you need copy? All right. I can provide that. And I can just be funny Mark just for a, a few minutes and then go home. Just a dude. And then I can go home and we can go back into figuring out what our next step is. What's the next part of the plan? Okay. What happened this time? Okay. Well, we're going to go here and try this and try that or whatever. Yeah. Do you, do you think there's a mojo lesson of, you know, how Alex year, years later put this story down and you being open today, do you think it, it's important to open up and share or it's just, a, there's the right timing for that? It's, it's different because like once, like we had our own problems, we have friends who, when you start sharing your stories, they share their problems and like that becomes, it's helpful. And you realize that, you know, you're not the only one with your problems. The one thing I think I learned is just like, you don't, you never know what someone else is going through really. Like everyone, like lots of people have their own wars that they're waging in their own way. Sometimes it's fertility, maybe for someone else, it's substance abuse for another one. It's like interfamily relations for some, it could be anything. Like everyone's going through their own problems and you never know because for, for, for us, you know, and for me, like privacy was power. Like I could just get away with it. Like nobody knew that I could hold on to that. And it gave me a little like protection from having to deal with that in certain situations. But I learned that like, I don't necessarily know what you're going through. Right. So it was this acceptance of, of being able to meet people where they are with how they're interacting with you and just letting that be that and trying not to dive too much into like, Oh, well, they're a fucking asshole today. It's like, well, their dog might've died. I don't know. Like there's, there's so many things that we're, we, we deal with on our own turf in our own ways. Most of the time I'd say privately, but like being more aware of that and cognizant of that in my sort of interactions with people. That was sort of my main takeaway. Should, should people share their stories only if you're comfortable and only if they're people you trust, but like, there's an element of, of that that's definitely going to help you. For like for us, there are lots of friends in our sort of network, especially for Mary, was like, who have gone through also horrendous shit that you're like, you can, you, you've been through your own thing. You see that they're going through something. Like everyone's got their own major fucking problem that they have to deal with. Like no one ever has it perfect. So the universal truth is so. Whether you want to open up is that's your own timing, but yeah, just just give people a break and don't set don't judge their shit. You don't know what's going on in their lives, so be kind. No, that's it. Be uh, and and sometimes you can't be empathetic. You don't know what's going on in their lives, so just don't assume. That's it. Be there to help. Yeah. Well, that's Alex said that 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 was a huge thing. You know how maybe even in the moment. She got help, but wasn't wasn't in a place even to 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 show yeah. the gratitude because she's going through whatever she's going through. And and I've caught myself sometimes when I'm helpful with someone and I don't get immediate gratitude. Even then I get a little oh, they didn't say thank you. And it's like sometimes I just, you know, back off. Like maybe they're yeah, not ready. The, and exactly. and I think just just be helpful and don't expect anything back. <laughs> Do it for the sake of trying to help. Don't do it for the result of what you were trying to do. 
you know. That's some serious mojo challenge. Mojo. <laughs> mojo. <laughs> the most informative, serious podcast in the world brought to you by Mojo Mark. Dropping fucking truth bombs on this one. This one cut deep. I remember when you were like, hey, we're going to do this podcast and we're going to talk about someone who had major troubles with infertility. Uh, I know you're kind of expecting, but uh, yeah, we're going to do this. I'm like, thanks, buddy. And then I'm like, here, read the book. Read read the book. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, that didn't start out well. Oh, and it got worse. Oh, no. No, but then it got better. Got worse and worse before it got better. (laughs) I was like, oh, man. I was like, I feel like reading it. I was like, I feel the words on the page. Like, and it's very rare that I have that sentiment. I'm like, holy shit. I know exactly what she means to feel resentment for someone in that specific way. It's, it, was, it was very, I've never had such a visceral reading experience based on my own. So do, do you, you know, was it too, like, and you could say it, it takes nothing away from Alex's book, but was the wrong timing for you? To have that book in your life right now, or it worked for you? No, it was it was okay now. It was okay now. I, if I'd have read it, I don't I don't know if I would have read it previously. Although I should have, you know what I mean? It's just like it when you're when I was in it and when we were in it, it was really difficult to read about other people's infertility. You know, it's just like. Yeah, we know. We know this. Thanks. Great. It was even harder to read about people's fertility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, screw those people with all those kids. But uh, I remember it was, um, it wasn't too long ago. I saw, it was Chrissy Teigen who lost her child just after birth, I think. And then she was talking with another sort of celebrity chef and they were talking about... Um, a specific type of condition. I can't remember off the top of my head um, where there's like blood splotches inside the uterus, which makes it kind of difficult to, to conceive. And I was like, holy shit, great. Like people with platforms are actually like talking about it not being easy and it being incredibly complicated at times to, to get pregnant for some people. I, I, we've often caught ourselves saying it must be so nice to be ignorant of all of these things. Two of like, hey, I want a kid. Oh, I'm pregnant. That went well. Here's our kid. Oh, we had another one. That's great. And like never having to know how fucking hard it can get must be so nice. But at the same time, life experience. And now I know. And now I'm more respectful of other people and their journeys. And <laughs> I was about to it's say, like, yeah, I, still feel, into- I still feel a bit of the anger, Mark. I'm here. But there is. For sure there's anger. But you know what? They might have other. They might be having other shit going we on. Joked, we joked. We used. We joked last summer when we had Amy Black on the show, and and they do Jordan Peterson's book, uh, Twelve yeah. Rules for Life. But one of the things he was saying in that book that I, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's actually really good. He's like, at some point in everyone's life, they have to go through a period of of chaos and hell, and they have to go through that. And it's like if you're not in one get ready because you're gonna have one at some point and i was like oh yeah that's true it's like you know we're not all on the same timeline we're not on the same trajectory for things like if my major thing was the past 10 years that's great 
because maybe the next 10 is going to be pretty fucking so you're like, sweet. It's going to be golden for me now. It doesn't right? always work that way, though, Mark. No, it doesn't. But, like, it's true that, like, just because someone seems that their life is perfect doesn't mean that, like, they're not going to have to go through something incredibly horrible coming up. And, like, hopefully they don't. Again, best case scenario for everyone. I hope everything's awesome. Keep chilling and being awesome and being you. But there might be something that comes through you that's going to challenge you and bring you a little bit of chaos. Well... Thank you for sharing. On that note. No, no, Mark. No, seriously. Thank you for sharing uh, your the chaos and challenges uh, that you and Marie went through. And, and Alex's book, Alex Johnson's book is called Inconceivable. Yeah. Inconceivable, my life-altering, eye-opening journey from infertility to motherhood. And as her son said, it's like a little it's short. Like a, it's like an essay. It's like an essay. I mean, her 11-year-old says, mom, you're you're missing words in here. It's actually a perfect length of a read. It's a beautiful book. Yeah. And, Sutherland House Books. Go check them out. And uh, again, thank you to Alex for coming on and sharing. And Mark, this could, you know, you might be out uh, in Babyland in a couple days or so. Babyland. And so good luck with that and enjoy. Don't sleep is overrated. And Sleep's overrated. Our uh, former creative director used to say that the best thing that can happen for a creative is sleep deprivation brought on by childhood. So Their own childhood or having a child? Having a child okay. and, <laughs> and sleep deprivation. So, well, that'll be happening to you. And exactly. So that's a wrap for Mojo. And thank you all for Mojo <laughs> And hopefully we can add sound effects. Oh, <laughs> <laughs>